Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have lots of good martinis today. Three of them, in fact. All good martinis today brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger Show. And Jim, let's start with uh, very good news on the election front as it relates to the U.S. Senate. When we talked yesterday, 48-48 with four races still outstanding, two where all the votes have been voted, and two more coming in Georgia on January 5th. Obviously, the ones in Georgia still undecided, uh, but we do have winners in the other two. Many different media outlets now have called North Carolina in favor of Tom Tillis, who had the 90,000 vote lead. I think it's even ticked up to 95,000 now. And uh, I'm not sure what's taking so long to count all the votes in Alaska. They're up to 75% of the votes counted there now. And uh, Dan Sullivan, if anything, has actually expanded his lead a little bit. Both of those states also called for President Trump. So he's up to, I believe, 232 in the Electoral College. And we'll talk more about the presidential race later. But uh, Jim, with a Tillis win and a Sullivan win, and by the way, Cal Cunningham has even conceded that race. That's 50 Republican votes in the U.S. Senate, so they only need to win one in Georgia. Obviously, two would be fantastic and even better. But uh, getting those two on the board, critical for uh, preserving some sanity if, in fact, it's uh, Biden in the White House and Democrats running the House. Yeah, these are not necessarily surprises as of, say, Election Day. But I think it's safe to say that heading into Election Day, uh, most analysts did not have Tom Tillis as a uh, as odds being better than 50-50. Everybody knew it was going to be close. This was closely contested. Uh, I believe Cunningham was outspending Tillis by a wide margin. And Tillis managed to pull it out. I heard a whole bunch of Republican strategists and uh, campaign workers saying, yeah, Tillis is really not that great a candidate. He got elected in a really good year for Republicans in 2014. 2020 is going to be a much tougher one. Uh, Never mind. Never mind. Tom Tillis is a perfectly fine candidate, and Republicans don't need to worry about him until 2026 now, it appears. The other case in Alaska, look, Alaska is an unusual state. I've been joking that they bring in those final election results by sled dog, but apparently it's not that far from the truth. You have very far-flung people in very remote areas who have to take five different, uh, you know, boats and planes and, and all kinds of ways to, to get, you know, to report in their results. Um, but it looks like Dan Sullivan. It's only interesting in that, one, there was some spending towards the end that made both Democrats thought this was on their, you know, not likely, but we have an outside shot in one. And during the, you know, very slow count we've seen over the last week, the Democratic candidate has said, made a few comments of, oh, we're going to surprise people. Oh, you're, you're doing. And a lot of people wondered if he knew something everybody else did not. No, no, he did not know anything that anybody else did not. Uh, two more Republican seats on the board. And now, you know, Georgia is the big enchilada or, I don't know, grits? How, how do we want to carry What's the big food? The big peach all comes down to Georgia, I suppose you could say. No, that's exactly right. And uh, yeah, as Democrats have learned in Alaska, at least when it comes to Senate races, if your Republican opponent has not been recently convicted of felonies, uh, you're probably not going to win. And even then, it's a very tight race. And oh, by the way, I believe those convictions against Ted Stevens actually got overturned at one point. So uh, anyway, uh, not going to happen in Alaska. Jim, you're very kind to Tom Tillis. We're saying he's a stronger candidate than a lot of people thought and certainly better than the polls expected. Um, I don't know what uh, difference the Cal Cunningham revelations made over the last several weeks, but I have to think that they helped Tom Tillis. Cal Cunningham pretty much went into bunker mode. 
I'm not sure what his life is going to look like now. I hope he can get it together um, for the sake of his family and others. But uh, Cal Cunningham probably blew his own foot off uh, as uh, opposed to Tom Tillis finishing strong. But um, it was a combination of both. Yeah, we should give credit where it's due, Greg. Cal Cunningham did apparently call Tom Tillis yesterday and reportedly made a very gracious concession to Tillis. The unfortunate uh, bad news is that uh, Cunningham did also call other candidates behind Tillis's back and make other gracious concessions. So certain <laughs> bad habits have continued. Well, whether you're Cal Cunningham or voters in North Carolina or beyond, critical thinking is important when you vote. It's critical at any time. That's where the Jordan Harbinger Show can help a lot of people. Apple named it one of its best 2018. It's aimed at making you a better, informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's really happening out there. There's an episode of the show for everyone, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia, which is impressive. How do you find time to contact and meet up with customers while the feds and the mafia are hunting you down? Pretty impressive. Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on or off the pill can change the elements of different people's personalities. You know, you won't find just one set of viewpoints on Jordan's show. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is Jordan's ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. You'll find something you can apply to your own life, whether that's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity, or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Go to jordanharbinger.com slash subscribe or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, as we mentioned, Jim, uh, if you looked at uh, the vast majority of polls in the North Carolina Senate race, uh, you had little indication that Tom Tillis would be winning another six years in Washington. We saw the very same thing in Maine, where Sarah Gideon was ahead, usually by well beyond the margin of error against Susan Collins. And in the end, Collins wins handily. Uh, it was about eight, eight points or so. Uh, everybody had uh, Lindsey Graham in a nail-biting race against Jamie Harrison. He wins by double digits. On and on and on it goes. And even on the presidential level, uh, while many of the swing states at this point at least look like Biden won, uh, many of the polls showed a much wider margin. Uh, they had Michigan being a double-digit edge for Biden. That certainly didn't happen. We laughed about the 17-point lead that one poll had for Biden in Wisconsin. That obviously didn't happen. And the same uh, in, in some other states that ended up being much tighter. And Jim, you mentioned that as Trump's effort uh, in the courts and elsewhere goes on, he's missing that figure with gravitas who will speak and everyone will listen to. And you mentioned the name Jim Baker because he was the point man for the Bush campaign during the uh, Florida recount in 2000. Well, Jim Baker, all 90 years old of him, has spoken out on this election, not about the vote count challenges, but about the pollsters. He wrote in the Wall Street Journal, too many opinion pollsters have come to resemble Lucy in the cartoon strip Peanuts. Ahead of the presidential elections of 2016 and 2020, they held the political football in place to tee up certain Democratic victories. But at the last second, the ball was pulled away and the entire country landed flat on its back when the Republican candidate fared much better than expected. He says it would be funny if it weren't a sad reality that American democracy is being undermined by bad polling that consistently favors one side over the other. Though not as ingrained in our national heritage as politicians and the press, polling is an important component in the governance of the nation 
as it presents snapshots of the positions Americans take on the challenges that confront us. Elected leaders, candidates for public office, and constituents often rely on polling as they make their choices on issues that affect the health of the nation. Accurate information is critical to political discourse, and everyone loses when so many pollsters are consistently wrong. Polls that repeatedly favor one side create false expectations that adversely influence the actions of both sides. The favored side becomes overconfident. They don't meet expectations, and the disfavored side is disadvantaged in both fundraising and turnout by the appearance that the outcome is foreordained. He says that uh, Americans don't often get straight information from pollsters, and when this is done knowingly or intentionally, it could be considered a form of voter suppression. So uh, a lot to go through there, Jim. But uh, I mean, it's hard to see that he's wrong here because uh, in race after race, particularly in 2016 and this year, I, I, I think things were a little bit better in 2018, but maybe not on the margins. Uh, you know, there's a lot of pollsters with egg on their face here. You used to think that getting it right was how they'd get more clients in the future. Uh, now they're, they're wrong and they don't seem to be all that apologetic about it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's worth keeping in mind is that the, uh, first of all, the general public's appetite for poll results is enormous, no matter how, how bad a pollster's uh, results are. If you come out with a poll result that is surprising, it will get attention and people will start uh, sharing it and tweeting it and putting it on social media and discussing whether it's accurate or whether it's not accurate because people love to know whether their side is winning or not. They want affirmation that their side is winning or not. At this point, Greg, I should note that this morning, Donald Trump said the fake pollsters at ABC Washington Post produced a possibly illegal suppression poll just before the election, showing me down 17 points in Wisconsin. When in fact, on election day, the race was even and we are now preparing to win the state. Many such deplorable instances. Now, let's point out, it's not a possibly illegal suppression poll. First Amendment protects your right to write anything the heck you want, to say anything. We've had pollsters. I think it was the guy who was daily, affiliated with Daily Coast a few years back who was turning out making up his numbers was not conducting the polls, right? It was fraud. Maybe, you know, Daily Coast could sue the pollster, but there was not, you know, it's not going to see criminal charges for putting out bad or wildly inaccurate polls. That having been said, everything Jim Baker said in his complaint is accurate. And one of the things that is deeply frustrating about this, and I have a corner post that just kind of lays this out. You study political science, you may hear about the old iron triangle, the idea that policy is really formulated between members of Congress, staffs of bureaucracies, and lobbyists, and that those are the three forces that actually have the most influence in what goes into the laws, right? I think we've got an iron triangle, Greg, between pollsters who are not doing a terribly good job of reaching a group of generally Republican-leaning voters, we, between Democratic campaigns and the candidates who want to tout the storyline that they are winning and landslides are imminent and things are terrific and here comes the blue wave and all that stuff. And the third one is the media, which wants to believe, which is generally sympathetic to the Democrats or rooting for the Democrats, sometimes quietly, sometimes openly, loves to write the stories, not just of, you know, imminent Democratic landslide. But as I've observed, Greg, probably the best example of this is the great Southern Democratic hope, right? Where it's not just Democrats are going to have a good year, but Beto O'Rourke may win Texas this year. Um, before uh, these Georgia runoffs, you had Michelle Nunn being, Ossoff was a great Southern Democratic hope before this. Harold Ford Jr. in Tennessee, like every couple, of, at least once per cycle, there's at least one Democrat. Um, a couple of the Democratic challengers who went up against Mitch McConnell got this kind of really sympathetic, soft focus coverage that did not acknowledge that they were deep underdogs heading into these Senate races. It's interesting, maybe this is a good segue to our next martini, 
as of this morning, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has new polling results out for the runoffs. And <laughs> I didn't see anything in this article that pointed out not just the generally how bad the polls were. I mean, not just like, you know, oh, you know, they're off by four or five points. That's going to happen. That's a margin of error. Um, I think one of the, you know, probably the most glaring one, the one that deserves either like rotten fruit hurled at them or just a, a you know, if not a media boycott, then just a media recognition that these polls are wrong. Quinnipiac said South Carolina set a race between Lindsey Graham and Jamie Harrison was tied three times in August and September. Uh, Graham won by a safe wide margin of about 12 points, 10 points, pardon me, 10 points. Not that close. And this kind of adds to this, this mentality. And it's one of those things like when Republicans have a bad year, say 2018, 2006, 2008, Generally, we know it. We see it coming. We have a sense, oh, this is going to be... When the Democrats have a bad year, 2010, 2014, 2016, and you might even argue this year when you add up the Senate and the House and uh, Trump winning you know, Florida by a, five, a fairly sizable margin, state legislative gains, all that kind of stuff. Democrats are flabbergasted every single time because they never see it coming because the pollsters are generally saying, hey, this is fine. Um, by the way, that, those polls in Georgia showed Republicans leading by a small margin. That's a perfectly plausible result. It wouldn't surprise me if it shook out by that. But this same pollster was also doing polls in Missouri this past election cycle, and they had Trump winning Missouri by five points or six points. On election day, Trump won by 16 points. Should I trust this pollster? Should the Atlanta Journal-Constitution at least acknowledge that this pollster missed the Missouri by 10 points just a, couple of, just a week or two ago? None of that is mentioned, Greg. And it's as if everyone's decided, wow, we had yet another year in which the polls were really far off. They were really far off in one direction. And everyone is choosing to not learn anything from the experience. Always wrong, but never in doubt. Uh, or frequently go. wrong or never in doubt. That's uh, often the way it goes in Washington and in politics in general. You mentioned Mitch McConnell. Somebody asked him, I think it was yesterday, whether there was any fraud in his race uh, since uh, the Republicans are kind of keeping their powder dry while the Trump legal challenges play out. And Mitch, who actually smiled a little bit when he answered this, said, well, at risk of bragging, it wasn't that close. <laughs> That's not the cocaine talking. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, speaking of which, yesterday, a loyal listener mentioned to me and asked, why do you guys call him Cocaine Mitch? Oh, wow. And so I got to share the YouTube link to Don Blankenship's uh, primary campaign ad in the West Virginia Senate race in 2018 where he not only talks about how, literally, this I'm quoting now, Mitch McConnell is creating millions of jobs for China people, uh, but he also, of course, says at the end, I'm going to beat Joe Manchin and ditch cocaine Mitch for the sake of the kids. The cocaine part came from this really flimsy, let's just call it baseless allegation, that Mitch McConnell's wife, Elaine Chow, had relatives in Asia, I can't remember if it was Taiwan or somewhere else in Asia, uh, that leased a boat to some people who ended up using it for drug smuggling. So that's how uh, Cocaine Mitch got his moniker from Don Blankenship. Mitch McConnell ended up using it as a badge of honor, and uh, it's stuck ever since. So if anybody wants to know where that came from, it's Don Blankenship, who was the Constitution Party presidential candidate this year and fell just short. So That is the greatest thing Don Blankenship has ever done. 
It's this lasting monument to American politics, and I couldn't be more grateful. Hey, guys, it's Mock and Daisy from the Chicks on the Right, and we're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. If you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore, don't worry, because we're here to clear things up. Every week, we discuss topics like cancel culture, national crisis, what's happening to our new generations. And if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life, we tackle that, too. Find out more by going to our website, Chicks on the right.com or start listening on the apple podcast app spotify or your favorite podcast app don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe all right let's get on to our final good martini now jim and there's going to be a recount in georgia georgia secretary of state brad raffensperger hoping i'm saying that right announcing earlier today there is going to be a hand recount audit and canvassing of every ballot in every county in Georgia. At that time, I'll designate that the RA will be the presidential race. With the margin being so close, it will require a full by-hand recount in each county. This will help build confidence. It will be an audit, a recount, and a recanvass all at once. It will be a heavy lift, but we will work with the counties to get this done in time for our state certification. So Jim, this is a guy who's come under quite a bit of fire. The two senators who are uh, in the runoffs, Leffler and Purdue, have uh, basically asked for, not basically, they did ask for Raffensperger's uh, resignation for the handling of these elections. And he says, I'm, I'm doing my job the best I can. I don't see any reason to suggest that uh, these results aren't accurate. And so uh, I guess when you go through the results, Hand by hand, it's about a 14,000 vote margin. We'll see as they go through and, and check to make sure that uh, every voter should have been voting and so forth, whether we see a big change or a little change. History suggests it'll be a little change and it'll be just better to know, I think, Jim. No, I'm fully supportive of this. Generally, I'm pro recount. If this is going to dispel sore losers, if this is going to dispel claims of massive fraud, then let's go ahead and do this. Now, Monday, I went through all of the races that were in the presidential race, all the states in the presidential race that were close. Uh, at that point, Arizona was, I'm sorry, uh, at that point, Georgia was well within the margin. Um, Georgia basically allows candidates to request, it doesn't have an automatic. Uh, trigger, but it has, if you can request a recount, if the margin is less than or equal to 0.5%, this is well within that, um, and they have to do it within two days. Now, certain other states have automatic recount laws, but they are not within them right now. Uh, I think my favorite was Nevada, which said that uh, they have no automatic one, but you can request it within, within three days of the statewide canvas. The requesting candidate has to pay for it, but if you alter the results, you get the jackpot, you win your money back. Just seems very appropriate for Nevada. That's kind of like, you know, spin the wheel and see if the recount changes anything. Now, if you look back over the recounts from the year 2000 to 2019, first, we've only had 31 statewide races go to a recount, and most of them move about 430 votes. Sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. You're not going to see a change in the margin of 10,000 votes like we're seeing in Georgia or any of these other states. Now, here's the thing. Even if it's not going to change the result, it's good to get the most accurate count that you can. These vote counting is sometimes done by machines, sometimes done by human beings, and both of them are capable of making errors. You don't see errors that end up giving you the wrong votes in you know, hundreds of thousands of votes or even tens of thousands of votes. But you know what? Let's go through this. I'm perfectly fine with this. We should do this to dispel uh, claims of earnest. And by the way, if I'm, if I'm running a race, not just in Georgia, but in any, in any state, where I want to know where my candidate did well, where my candidate didn't do well, if I want to know about where did I leave some... Uh, 
some low-hanging fruit that was still, uh, still available. I want the most accurate vote count that I can get. So I have no problem with a recount. I think we should have a recount in Georgia. I wouldn't even mind a recount in all five or six of these states. I just don't expect them to change anything, not even the 20,000 vote margin we're looking at in Wisconsin. So good for this. Good for you, state of Georgia. Let's get this done. Let's do it, you know, orderly, normally. You know, I don't expect a lot of, you know, guys with their eyes popping, looking at hanging chads or anything like that. I'm not expecting, there should really shouldn't be any changing of thousands of votes or something like that. Um, the margin vote that was the biggest was in uh, Vermont, where it was like one-tenth of one percent, but then you add the numbers up on that, it was about 240-some votes was the, actual, was the actual change in the totals. So don't expect anything big from this, but good for you, Georgia, for doing this. Georgia residents, we feel for you because this is going to be an exhausting stretch for you. This recount is going to take a while. And then if you're not already being inundated by campaign ads for the runoff, you will be soon and very intensely uh, for however many days it is till January 5th. So while the rest of us uh, get a respite from the avalanche of political ads, yours is only starting. And I'm very sorry about that. But uh, you can still vote the right way. And we hope you do. And on January 5th, uh, hopefully all of this will come to a merciful conclusion with a GOP majority in the U.S. Senate. So there is yeah. a light at the end of the tunnel. Listeners, if you have friends in Georgia and the holiday season is coming up and you're thinking about what kind of gifts, I bet you they'd love a TiVo or, or anything else that allows them to fast forward through commercial breaks because otherwise they'll be watching a lot of attack ads between now and January. Wow. Buckle up. All right, Jim. Very good. Talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We want to say a very special thank you to all of our veterans, as well as those on active duty today. We are grateful for you every day, but we especially want you to know that today on this Veterans Day 2020. We are extremely grateful for your service and the sacrifices of you as well as your family. Uh, thank you also to the Jordan Harbinger Show for sponsoring our podcast today. For more information, jordanharbinger.com slash subscribe. Also, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. We are very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Also, remember, you can get us on those government surveillance devices you've allowed into your homes. You can get us uh, by just saying, play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day, and we'll see you Thursday on the Three Martini Lunch.